You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sometimes certain teams just have your number. You can try and explain it based off of highlights, statistics, or matchups between specific players. But ultimately, those are numbers on a piece of paper, not what's happening on the floor itself. The Kings have been a nightmare matchup for certain teams this season and in seasons past that didn't make much sense. And they have their own nightmare scenarios to deal with. And the biggest nightmare for the Kings this season has been the Los Angeles Clippers. Once again, Friday night, biggest game in 12 years in Sacramento. The Kings took on a very different Los Angeles Clippers team than the one that had beaten them three times earlier already this season. The Kings could not figure it out. They lose again 116 to 109. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Locked On Kings podcast. This is your daily hub for Sacramento Kings coverage each and every single weekday. If you're looking for in depth analysis and breakdowns, uh, highlights, game by game analysis, interviews with all the local and national experts, sometimes interviews with players and coaches as well, this is the podcast for you. I have the absolute privilege of being your host here from Sports 1140 KHDK. My name is Matt George. Uh, I work at KHDK, which is the flagship radio station of the Sacramento Kings, uh, as an on-air host and a multimedia journalist and reporter. I've been covering this team for over four years. I've been a fan of this team for over 15 years. Uh, this is a interesting situation that we have here in Sacramento. First and foremost, the Kings are not out of the playoff race uh, by any means. So even though there is kind of a solemn tone uh, to this podcast here today, it's not the end-all be-all. The fact that the Kings lost to the Clippers in a very meaningful game uh, on Friday night does not mean that regardless of what happens over these final uh, 20 games of the season, that everything is over and, and the dream, the hopes of breaking the 12-plus year uh, playoff drought uh, are gone, but a loss like what the Kings suffered uh, to a Clippers team that, like I said, it was very significantly different from what they were earlier on in the season when they had beaten you three times, and the fact that the Kings have to swallow the tough pill of, man, they just they just got us. They know how to beat us. They play well against us. They know how to approach us. They exploit our weaknesses through all 48 minutes of all four games and we couldn't figure out a way to to turn that corner and figure that out and beat them even though on paper personnel wise they got worse as the season went on 116 109 the final a lot of fans left the golden one center disappointed the place was popping it was loud it was exciting uh, as the fans certainly showed up for what was a monumental game for playoff situations and playoff scenarios But unfortunately, the Kings could not show up as loudly as they wanted to. Now, they played better in certain areas against the Clippers than they have in the past so far this season. But maybe the most frustrating part about this uh, loss to the Clippers was the fact that through the first three and a half quarters, the Kings weren't hurt really by the two biggest weapons on this Clipper squad. And that's Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Now, the Clippers and Doc Rivers, who's head coach of the Clippers, they do a very good and interesting job with their rotations. Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, like I said, since trading away Avery Bradley, since trading away Tobias Harris, uh, they are the best players on this team. But they both come in off the bench, which provides certain uh, tactical advantages, also provides certain disadvantages. Ultimately, the two of them are on the floor at the end of the game when it matters, particularly uh, in close games. 
However, the starting five of the Los Angeles Clippers absolutely abused the Kings' starting five in this game. 20 points for Landry Shamit, including 5 of 10 from three-point range. 19 points from Danilo Gallinari. Zubac provided 10. Gildress Alexander, 15. Patrick Beverly with 12. Everybody on the Clippers did their job. And that was the biggest difference between the Kings and the Clippers, not just in this game, but through the majority of this season. There are a lot more veterans on this Los Angeles Clippers roster, not to mention they have a proven veteran coach that's won a championship in Doc Rivers. Each and every single one of those Clippers players knows their role, understands their role completely, and has accepted their role completely, including Williams and Montrez Harrell, who both deserve to be starters and should be starters on this team. And quite frankly, they'd be starters on probably 29 other teams in the NBA. But they recognize the advantages to them coming in and playing well. Now, Montrezl Harrell was a minus 10 in this game. Lou Williams was a minus 6. To put that into perspective, everybody in the starting lineup was either at 0 or positive in plus minus. Now, plus minus is a strange stat. Ultimately, Lou Williams scored 17 points on 17 shots. Montrez Harrell had 15 points, only 8 rebounds on 13 shots in 29 minutes, just shy of 30 minutes. So both of them played 30-plus minutes uh, coming off of the bench. However, the majority of Lou Williams' 17 points came in the fourth quarter when they needed him to wake up, when they needed him to start scoring and keep that separation uh, from the Kings. And Lo and behold, he did it. Of course he was going to do it. You knew he was going to do it. Again, the most disappointing part of this game, to me, was the fact that the Kings did what they needed to do defensively against the two guys, but really the one guy in Montrez Harrell that has absolutely abused them so far this season. They did what they needed to do against those players, but they allowed the other Clippers. They allowed the Clipper role players. They allowed Landry Shamit to defeat them. And that's a similar uh, situation or similar uh, issue to what they suffered in the loss in Minnesota to the Timberwolves just last week. Carl Anthony Towns, you knew he was going to get his numbers. You knew he was going to go off. You knew he was going to score in bunches and, and really hurt you. But the Kings allowed the other members of the Timberwolves that weren't Carl Anthony Towns or even Derrick Rose to hurt them, especially when Carl Anthony Towns wasn't in the game. That, to me, was the most disappointing part of this game is that Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell did not start, and the Kings struggled against the five starters. You can't have that when you're in a playoff race. Now, again, certain teams have the edge against you. The Kings had the edge against the uh, the Toronto Raptors for a number of years when they had DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay. The Kings have had the edge this year against the Oklahoma City Thunder, which nobody can explain because the Thunder are one of the best teams in the West, but the Kings have beaten them three times. Certain matchups are in your favor, and this Kings-Clippers matchup has been all Clippers from the get-go. Let's look at the individual performances for the Sacramento Kings starters. Buddy Heald scored 23 points on 3 of 8 from 3-point range, 6 of 19 overall. Again, not one of his best games, but probably the best out of the 4 that he has played so far, or out of the 4 total that he's played against the Clippers this season. The biggest difference into this or in this game, to me, for Buddy Heald, was the fact that Avery Bradley wasn't guarding him. But he did have to deal with Patrick Beverly, who I know Patrick Be- uh, Beverly didn't make too many fans 
and friends in Sacramento. A lot of Kings fans were tired of just him jawing and and, and that attitude. But that's who Patrick Beverly is, and that's what I love about Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is absolutely one of my favorite players in the NBA because of the aggressiveness that he brings, the hustle that he brings, and on the defensive end of the floor, he takes things personally. If you score on him, he takes that personally. And he's going to make sure that it doesn't happen again, or he's going to do everything in his power to make sure it doesn't happen again. If you have all this hype about you, if you're a young player or even a star coming into a game and everybody's talking about you and you're the guy to beat and you're the guy that's that's standing on the top of the mountain, Patrick Beverly wants to square up with you. Not to fight, but to guard you. He wants to make things as difficult as possible. Remember Lonzo Ball's debut against the Clippers last season? Patrick Beverly punked him because that's who Beverly is. And there's certain elements of, of Beverly that you can't teach. The the attitude, the, uh, the the just the dog in him, that fight, that aggressiveness. It's old school. It's something that he's had for a long time. And that's you can't teach that. But what you can teach is the the fundamental aggressiveness that he brings on the defensive end of the floor and how he approaches taking care of and guarding primary ball handlers and primary shooters. That is something that I believe De'Aaron Fox can do. De'Aaron Fox doesn't have the the attitude of Patrick Beverly. He has a little bit of an attitude about him. De'Aaron Fox has that, you know what, you scored on me, fine. I'm going to go score on you and I'm going to take over this game. And we've seen that from time to time. But De'Aaron Fox, to me, there's no reason why he can't be as pesty of a ball handler as Beverly is. I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again. I know a lot of players that aren't on the same teams work out together and and, and learn from each other and and spend time with each other over a summer break, over the offseason. I would love to see De'Aaron Fox and Patrick Beverly work together for a summer and Beverly can teach Fox a little bit of what he knows in terms of on-ball defense. I'm going to talk a lot more about De'Aaron Fox and his offensive side in the next segment here coming up. But the Kings certainly could have used Marvin Bagley in this game. They definitely needed him on the glass, and they definitely needed him for scoring off of the bench. The Kings' bench, with the exception of Harry Giles, was essentially non-existent. Giles did provide 15 points on 13 shots, also had 5 rebounds and a couple assists off the bench, and it's good to see him consistently figure out how he can affect the scoring column when he's on the floor. Part of his game that he's growing and developing more and more. But off the bench, 8 from Corey Brewer, only two from Yogi Ferrell in eight minutes. Five points from Bielitsa. Four points from Alec Burks. The bench never really got going, and the bench has been a, an essential part of when the Kings have had success through stretches this season. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Marvin Bagley has been coming off the bench, and he's not there. Those are big shoes to fill. I said on the podcast on Friday before the game that one of the biggest guys that's going to need to step up when Marvin Bagley is out is Willie Cauley-Stein as the starting center. Now, I thought he played well. He looked engaged early on. He finished with a double-double, 16 points, 12 rebounds. Also had a uh, an assist. 7 of 11 from the field in 31 minutes. So he did what he could. Now, there are a couple areas where it was the obvious mental mistake by Willie Cauley-Stein that allowed for offensive rebounds and second-chance points. Second-chance points, once again, killed the Kings. 16 second-chance points for the Clippers on 16 offensive rebounds, but that's not all on Willie Cauley-Stein. The offensive rebounds were spread all over the place in terms of the Los Angeles Clippers. You had four offensive rebounds for Zubac. Those are on Willie Cauley-Stein. You have one on Gallinari. You have two on Patrick Beverly. 
You have one on Shea Gildress-Alexander, four on Montrez Harrell, three on Jermichael Green, and two on, or sorry, one on Lou Williams. 16 offensive rebounds spread through six or seven different guys. That's not all on one center. That's on everybody. Kings had mental lapses, and that caused them to fall out of it, not have a chance to work their way back into the game. It was back and forth for a while. Clippers did build up a 13-point lead at one point. The Kings did a nice job to work their way back into it. But the Clippers just have that Kings number, man. They know how to defeat the Kings. And the Kings needed someone to step up in this game. In particular, they needed De'Aaron Fox to step up in this game. Now, he did finish with a double-double, 12 points and 12 assists. But you need more scoring-wise from your star, from your leader, from your point guard. And he's aware of it. James Hamm wrote an excellent piece on NBCSN that I'm going to talk about here coming up in this next segment. But before we get to that, I wanted to let you know and update you on the standing situation. The Kings are by no means out of it. In the ninth seed still, 31-31 and on the season. The fact that they're at 500 in early March is still something to be celebrated. But the Clippers are no longer the team to catch. They're in the seventh seed. The team to catch is the Spurs in the eighth seed. Now, a friend of mine and in front of the show, Tim Maxwell from Sacktown Royalty tweeted out that he believes the Spurs are the team that the Kings need to go out and get, and he's believed this for, for quite a while. My response to that was, I didn't feel very good if uh, my hopes and prayers were in a team that's coached by Greg Popovich and, and featuring stars like LaMarcus Aldridge. If I'm hoping that they're going to fall out of it and they're going to fall apart and the Kings are going to snatch it from them, I'm not feeling too good. But that's the situation right now. Kings are three game back of the Spurs in the eighth seed. Now the Clippers are only half a game above the Spurs in the seventh seed, but we're not worried about the Jazz from sixth seed all the way up. At this point, the Kings are just trying to scratch their way in. Three games is a lot. Kings are four and six over their last ten. They've lost three straight. They need to figure things out and figure it out quickly. Three games is a lot. But you still have one meeting with the San Antonio Spurs coming up, and you need to put yourself in the best position going into that game later on this month to be within a game, a game and a half, or even two games to make up significant ground. If the Kings can do that, they have a chance. The loss to the Clippers hurt. It by no means was the nail in the coffin, but it made things a lot more difficult for the Kings and their playoff hopes. You've heard James Hamm, Sacramento Kings insider for NBCSN, on this podcast before. If you don't follow him on social media, you absolutely need to. He is one of the best to keep tabs on what's going on behind the scenes with roster movements on game days. He has got his fingers on the pulse of everything, Sacramento Kings. He's a fantastic follow, and he also works out and and releases fantastic pieces like this one on NBCSN that came out on March 3rd. It's titled, Kings Ready to Rely on De'Aaron Fox More with 20 Games Left in the Playoff Chase. To me, I mentioned my biggest disappointment in this game was the fact, and the the loss to the Clippers, is the fact that the Kings allowed the players not named Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams to beat them. Another disappointment that I had, despite the fact that Fox finished with a double-double and did have 12 assists, and Fox's distribution as a point guard and as a floor general has increased tenfold from last year to this year, and I'm not taking that away from him whatsoever. 
But the Kings right now need somebody to emerge and somebody to stand up. And Buddy Heald's been doing that for the majority of the season as a scorer, putting points on the board. And I'm not saying the torch needs to take be taken away from him in that sense. But we've heard so much about the Kings are going to go as far as De'Aaron Fox takes, uh, takes them. De'Aaron Fox is the key. He's the centerpiece. We've heard it from his former teammates like Vince Carter, Garrett Temple. We've heard it from Iman Shumpert. We've heard it from the coaching staff. You've heard it from members of the media, people like myself, Grant Napier. De'Aaron Fox is the leader, the future of this team, and the guy that's going to try to carry this team back into the promised land of the playoffs and potentially to championships in years to come. We saw flashes of his heroicism last season, had a number of buzzer beaters to send games to overtime. Of course, the the tip slam dunk in Miami when the, the Kings defeated the Heat, probably his best moment as a pro, also had the game winner in Sacramento over the 76ers last season. It seems like, now a lot of this has to do with the fact that there's more talent around him and the emergence of Buddy Heald as a go-to scorer. But it seems like De'Aaron Fox, to me, has taken a little bit of a step back in that area this season. That he's, when it's come to those big moments, that he either hasn't gotten as many opportunities to cash in or hasn't had the ball in his hands in those situations. Now, the Kings did try to put the ball in his hands for a chance to win it at the buzzer against the Milwaukee Bucks when he couldn't get a shot off against Eric Bledsoe. So I'm not saying it's not for want of trying. But Fox, to me, just hasn't been as aggressive in those big moments as we saw his rookie season. Again, credit where credit's due. He has grown significantly as a distributor, as a floor general, especially when it comes to pushing the ball and, and running a team in transition offense, which is not an easy thing to do. So I'm not trying to take anything away from him or really be that much of a critic of his game. But like James Ham's article, which I'm going to dive into here in just a second, but like the title of the article, uh, article suggests, the Kings are going to need De'Aaron Fox as a scorer and as a, 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 a leader in the scoring column to step up and to lead this team if they're going to make the playoffs. Three games back, it's time for a star to emerge. And while Buddy Heald has been that guy consistently all season, We've heard that De'Aaron Fox is that guy for this franchise, for his career. Need him to step up there. But let's dive into this article here, written by James Hammond. You can check it out right now on NBCSports.com. I highly encourage you to do so. James Ham dives into the stats and, and the breakdown of how many minutes that De'Aaron Fox is playing so far each game. He's averaging over 30 minutes a game, which is good. 31.6 minutes. His stat line is... Not bad by any means. He's one of the best scorers on the team. 17.2 points per game, 7.3 assists, and 1.7 steals, all up from his rookie season. Ham quotes this from De'Aaron. He said, quote, I've tried to make sure that they're going to be, or sorry, this is from head coach Dave Yeager. My mistake. This is for head coach Dave Yeager. And you heard similar things from Yeager when he was on the drive with Carmichael Dave and Kyle Madsen, KHDK's morning show. I played that for you or some of that sound for you last week on the podcast. But this is what Jaeger said in an interview with Ham. He said, quote, I've tried to make sure they're going to be around for the end and protect them as much as possible without or while being effective and trying to win as many games as possible. There are times now where De'Aaron runs are going to be a little longer. De'Aaron has 
only played 31 minutes per game, which is not anything to 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 roll your eyes at, but he's capable of playing more minutes. Dave Yeager has made sure that he controls his minutes and, and doesn't allow him to play 38 to 40 minutes a night because he recognizes the high-tempo offense that the Kings run, the amount of pressure that De'Aaron puts on himself and on his body in running that kind of offense, and wants to make sure that he can sustain that production from Fox over the course of an 82-game season while also trying to win games. And you know what? For the most of the season, it's worked. The Kings are 31-31. and But now that you're in a race and you're trying to take on better teams, veteran teams that are ahead of you, it's time to ratchet it up a little bit. And Jaeger has said as much. Fox told James Ham this. He said, quote, I feel fine. I know even if I'm out there longer, I have to keep up the pace. I think he, as in Dave Yeager, is trusting me a lot more, and I just want to be out there and make sure I'm impacting the game no matter what I'm doing out there. Now, there's two areas to that. There's with assists and running the offense, which I think he's been doing fantastic, and there's scoring, which has dropped off as of late, particularly in big games in big moments. If I was to ask you right now, who do you think has been the more go-to, big game, big moment guy for the Kings this season that's ultimately won them more games when they had to get a a game-winning shot or a big three or end a run? Who's been that guy for this Kings team this season? All of you should be saying, Buddy Heald. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because Buddy's been fantastic this year, but Buddy Heald's been that guy more than De'Aaron Fox has. And I'm not saying that that's a problem, But that's something that Fox needs to change for this final 20-game stretch. Kings go as far as De'Aaron Fox takes them, and he's aware of that. And he's ready for the challenge. Fox has never lacked any kind of confidence in himself in this game. He's his own biggest critic. So anything that we say about him, any any disappointments that we have with him maybe turning a ball over or missing a game-winning shot or not getting a shot off against the Bucs, Anything that we could say, any disappointment or frustration that we can feel as a fan base, as media members, as as coaches, he feels upon himself and reflects upon himself tenfold. So I'm not worried at all about his, his mindset and his willingness to attack. Now the Kings added a great veteran in Harrison Barnes who's helped them out tremendously defensively. Here's what he had to say about Fox developing into that go-to score, that leader, and that star in big moments. He said, quote, It just takes time. The biggest thing I think the staff and coaches try to preach to young guys is just taking care of your body. So Harrison Barnes understands why Coach Yeager and the Kings coaching staff have been maybe holding Fox and holding Heald and holding some of the young guys back. But like James writes in this article, Fox is mentally ready for the challenge. Increased minutes comes increased responsibility. This is what Fox had to say. He said, quote, I think he already gives me a lot of freedom. I'm not expecting anything to change too much, but the back end of the season, we've got to win. I'll come out a lot more aggressive. That quote right there is everything I need to hear from De'Aaron because I know he means it because I know his character. I know who he is as a player. And I know when he speaks, the stuff that comes out of his mouth isn't nonsense that he says just to say the right thing and move on. De'Aaron Fox is very tactical about the answers that he gives. He's very tactical about the things that he says to the media, to his teammates, to his coaching staff. De'Aaron Fox believes in himself. And when he says stuff like this, I believe in him. He said, quote, I'm 21 years old. I'm not sure how much I can play, how much I can't play. 
As long as I'm out there, I'm definitely going to give it my all, and I'm trying to affect the team in positive ways. I believe him when he says it. And finally, at the end of this article, Dave Yeager said this, We're playing hard, and we don't quit. What we're building here, we will reap the rewards of this in many years to come. Not many years from now, but going forward. If this is who we are, and I believe that it is, we are, t- uh, we are a tough out. And I think those words by Jaeger there sum up this Kings season perfectly. The Kings are in a playoff race. They're trying to make the playoffs. And if they don't, every single person in that locker room, every single person on that coaching staff, everybody in that front office, and everybody who calls himself a Kings fan will be disappointed. That being said, the Kings have proven what Jaeger's words were right there, that they are a tough out. They've been a tough out for everybody this season. They've caught the world by surprise. They've been one of the best, if not the best story in the NBA this season. The Kings, their future is very, very bright. But right now, they're in the trenches of a tough fight for a playoff spot to try and end a drought. And every single one of those players in that locker room believes that they can and will make it. If they are going to, though, everybody needs to step up, especially De'Aaron Fox. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want more, I highly encourage you to go and check out the Locked On NBA podcast for today. I had an appearance along with Josh Lloyd, who is the uh, host of Locked On NBA and also the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. He had me on. We discussed the Kings' playoff push, if their chances and hopes are diminishing at all. We also discussed Harry Giles, uh, the the lack of um, not having Marvin Bagley, who is out with injury, also the disappointing loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves. We discussed all of that in today's episode of Locked on NBA. I highly encourage you to go and check it out. I was thinking about playing it for you here on today's podcast, uh, but I elected to encourage you to go check it out over there. Now, if some of you have problems finding it or aren't able to get to it, I might bring it here to the podcast in the future, but I, I, I implore you and encourage you, go and check out the Locked on NBA podcast, not just because I'm on it and we're talking Kings in it, but it's a good podcast overall. If you're an NBA fan, it's going to be fantastic as it dives more into the playoff race as we approach the postseason. It's a great podcast for you to listen to every weekday, so check it out. Hosted by Josh Lloyd. Also, you'll hear some familiar voices and familiar uh, familiar names on there from time to time, whether it's all the local Locked On uh, hosts or guys like Sam Amick from The Athletic that you've heard here on the Locked On Kings podcast before. It's a great show. They do great work. I highly encourage you to check it out. Also, want to let you know that we are doing the Fans Only podcast here in a couple of weeks. Still have a spot or two left. If you want to be a part of it, let me know right now. You can email me, mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com or you can reach me on Twitter at any time, mattgeorgekhtk. That's the best way to reach me. Would love to have you on the show and chat with you about your Kings fandom and your thoughts on this playoff push as we really get into the thick of it here. Realistically, the Kings need to go 4-1 and one over these next five games. It begins with the Kings taking on the New York Knicks tonight. Next five games are Kings hosting the Knicks, Kings hosting the Celtics, then the Kings in New York against the Knicks, Kings in Washington against the Wizards, and the Kings in Boston against the Celtics. If the Kings want to keep their playoff hopes alive, realistically, I need them to go, or we need to see them go 4-1 and one over this stretch, and it begins tonight at home against the Knicks. Honestly, you should beat the Celtics at home as well with how bad they're playing, even though they are a good team in the Eastern Conference. They're struggling right now. You're in your own building. The Kings 
should be going 2-0 over the final two games of this very brief homestand before going on that Eastern Conference road trip. There is zero excuse for losing tonight to the Knicks, and quite frankly, if the Kings do lose tonight to the Knicks, that may be the point that I'm ready to say, okay, this team is not a playoff team, and uh, their, their chances are all but finished. Could be worse. Could be the Lakers right now. Boy, they're fun to watch, and boy, they are fun to uh, to mock and make fun of. If you, like me, have been a Sacramento Kings fan for a long time, especially since the early 2000s when the Kings and Lakers went through what I still believe is one of the best rivalries in the history of professional sports. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Kings podcast here today. I will be out at the arena tonight. If you are there, tweet me or email me and let me know. would love to come by and say hi and chat with you in person. Uh, we will be back. On tomorrow's show to break down this Kings and Knicks game, also tons of more Kings conversation, tons of more highlights, breakdowns, interviews, and stuff coming throughout the remainder of this week. So I highly encourage you to be a part of it. If you're new, welcome, thank you, and I hope that you can call this your Kings home for many days, weeks, and years to come. My name is Matt George. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Locked On Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.